Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. On today's Brain Care podcast, we have the brilliant head of nutrition research at Heights, Sophie Medlin, who is an expert dietitian with tons and tons of experience in the real world dealing with patients and understanding research as an academic and lecturer as well. So Sophie, welcome back to the Brain Care podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. We want to talk today about omega-3s. Let's start really high level. What are omega-3s? Where does the three come from? What is going on there? Yeah, so all fats, omega-3s are essentially a group of essential fatty acids. And when we think about fats, the thing we need to remember is that we need to take in fats from our diet that our body then breaks down into lipids, so into really small particles, and then it will rearrange them into a structure that we need them for whatever we need them for. So when we eat something that's got various different fats in it, we break them down using bile and things like that. And then they're absorbed across our gut lining into our bloodstream and they are reassembled into shapes that we need them for, for various different functions. Some fats are what we call essential fatty acids. And that means that we're not able to reassemble them in our bodies into the shape and size that we need them to be. And so we have to take them in from our diets. So lots of fats we can break down and reassemble into whatever we need, but there are various fats that are what we call essential fatty acids, which means we have to take them in from our diets. Otherwise, our bodies and our brains and things aren't working optimally. Because our brains and our bodies are super clever, if we don't take them in from our diets, we can generally find other metabolic pathways to make things work still. So it's not like anything's going to grind to a halt, but things are likely to be working suboptimally. And that means that maybe it's a little bit more expensive in terms of nutrients to do what your brain and body needs to do when you don't have those essential fatty acids. Maybe it's a little bit less efficient and takes a bit more time and it's making you feel a little bit less well and your energy levels aren't as good because your body's having to work a bit harder. So when we get our essential fatty acid levels right, we generally are working at an optimal level. It's less inflammation in the body. Everything's kind of doing its job. It's a bit like a well-oiled engine as opposed to it being something that's got a load of rust somewhere that's struggling to, to take along as we would like it to. And what is the difference between then EPA, DHA and ALA omega-3s? So there's three categories, as Dan says. There's ALA, which comes from plants. And if you're eating seeds and nuts and things like that, and we commonly talk about linseeds and flax seeds and those sorts of things, then you're probably getting plenty of ALA in your diet. ALA, unfortunately, is relatively useless because we have to convert it into EPA and DHA. And most of us, genetically speaking, are really inefficient at that process. So ALA is like your foundation for omega-3s. And then you either need to convert that into EPA and DHA, which are the, the more active forms in the body, the ones that are really beneficial. Or you need to be eating fish, which then directly gives you EPA and DHA. 
And those are sort of the family. So essentially you've got ALA, which is not very useful, but can be converted in small amounts into the useful ones, which are EPA and DHA. And EPA in general, we associate with cardiovascular health. So we're thinking about making sure your heart's good and your circulation is good and all that sort of stuff. And DHA, we primarily associate with the structure of your brain and the lipids that are circulating in your brain all the time. We absolutely need both EPA and DHA for good brain function because the one, the EPA, which is associated with the cardiovascular system, we still need really good blood flow to the brain, right? That's still really important to make sure that everything's happening appropriately. But also we need that DHA in terms of the structure. What are the science-backed benefits of EPA and DHA then? You talked about EPA as a start there, but just to go into a little bit more detail. So people who have good circulating levels of EPA generally enjoy better cardiovascular health. And by that, I mean reduced risk of heart attacks, reduced risk of strokes, reduced risk of things like clots and those sorts of things. So when we get enough EPA in our diet, then generally we can expect to enjoy better heart health for longer periods of time. And we know that when we look at people, so um, in nutrition research in general, there's this deficit of us studying healthy people because we don't look at healthy people. There's not funding to look at healthy people. So when we study people who've had heart attacks, who've had strokes, we can generally see a much higher level of insufficiency of EPA in their essential fatty acid profile of their blood. So we know that people who... Uh, have heart attacks and strokes generally are more deficient in EPA, have less EPA circulating in their bodies than we would like them to. And the same with DHA. So we know that people who've had things like Alzheimer's and those sorts of brain conditions, neurodegenerative conditions, generally have lower levels of EPA and DHA in their bloodstream. So we know that those conditions are associated with lower levels of EPA and DHA. So lower levels of those essential omega-3 fatty acids that we um, you know, know are associated with various different benefits uh, in terms of our health. So basically, they're very important. Very, very important. Yeah, it's so important that the, the government makes very few dietary recommendations that you really should be thinking about. So the government doesn't tell you how much red meat to eat, how many eggs to eat in a week, how much you know dairy to eat, really. It doesn't tell you very much. It tells you about vegetables and it tells you about oily fish. And the government are so convinced that this is so important for us that their recommendation is two portions of oily fish a week. And it has been for a really long time. And the reason for that is that the evidence is so convincing that that's something that would make a massive difference at population level to us reducing our risk of those long-term conditions. And if we get those essential fatty acid balance right in our diets, then we can also expect to have less inflammation in the body. And again, inflammation is associated with things like Alzheimer's, with heart attacks, and also with things like diabetes and that sort of thing. So ultimately, if it's taken so far that the government makes a blanket recommendation, you can generally assume that there is really strong and good evidence to, to recommend that. So what food sources can omega-3, EPA and DHA be found in then? So unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, solely oily fish. And in this country, we are terrible at eating enough oily fish. I would say I probably see about 30 or 40 patients a week. And I would say 
70% of them aren't eating enough oily fish. So salmon is a good source of oily fish, but particularly the brown bit of the salmon, which lots of people don't like as much and might throw away, so the bit that's closer to the skin. And also uh, things like mackerel and herrings and those sort of stronger tasting fish that people in this country, again, particularly don't like. Anchovies are a good source, that sort of thing. We would love cod to be a good source because then everyone who goes to the fish and chip shop on a Friday would probably be getting enough omega-3, but unfortunately it's not a good source, so we struggle there. And tuna's not a good source. Again, if it was, that would be another way of people probably... Uh, reducing heart attack risk in the UK because lots of people eat lots of tuna. And then in terms of ALA, which is the one that you can convert some into the EPA and DHA, it comes from things like linseeds and flaxseeds and sort of nuts and seeds primarily. Um, but again, you need a lot of that and maybe still can't convert enough of it into the active forms. If you're a vegan or vegetarian or you are trying to, or you've watched Seaspiracy or whatever else, then you can think about using algae oil as your primary source. But of course, that's not something that you would typically eat or consume in your diet uh, in a normal way. So then you would be looking at algae supplementation and the algae EPA and DHA now is really excellent. So really worth thinking about that. So if I'm working with patients who are vegan or vegetarian, I will always say you need an algae-based supplement to make sure you're covering your omega-3s as opposed to a plant-based one. And, you know, there's controversy in that world. There's controversy about whether that's the right thing to recommend because there is a branch of nutrition that would say that omega is omega is omega. And as long as it's ALA or EPA and DHA, then you're fine. And my interpretation reading of the science and the literature and my understanding of people's genetics in this country and their ability to convert EPA into uh, ALA sorry into EPA and DHA is pretty poor like I, I'm convinced that we need algae as opposed to just taking ALA from plant sources so again there is controversy and one of the reasons for the controversy and maybe we'll come on to this a little bit more is that I can't prove to you that healthy people need EPA and DHA as opposed to just ALA. But I can prove to you that people who have heart attacks and strokes and Alzheimer's have lower levels of EPA and DHA. So my philosophy on that, therefore, is supplement before you get to that point, as opposed to saying, you can't prove to me that I need it, therefore don't tell me I need it. And how much EPA and DHA should people be taking or supplementing with then? Is there such a thing as too much omega-3? So what we like to look at is how much is in two portions of oily fish a week, because that's where the best evidence that we have suggests that that's what we're looking for. So, yeah, you can potentially take too much. Um, and we know that, for example, people who live, so Eskimos, for example, who have mostly oily fish in their diet and very little else, can have problems with clotting because they've got so much omega-3 that actually we can't clot the blood quite as effectively. So bleeding, excess bleeding can happen if you have too much omega-3, from usually from supplement form. Most people aren't eating so much oily fish every week that that's causing a problem of course if you are eating a lot of oily fish and, and then there is a risk of things like mercury and all that sort of thing from especially if you're having bigger fish like salmon and things like that so we just have to be a little bit careful with that ultimately when you're thinking about supplementation we want to be looking at what we would get from the food source and what that looks like in terms of supplement form and most of the time you are doing your best to get as much of that EPA and DHA into the supplement as possible. And we don't need mega doses of these things. It's more about the quality of the supplement and what the source is for you as an individual. Could you tell us a little bit about omega-3 DHA and ADHD? And it's a bit of a random question, but I've read a study on it and I'm wondering if you know more about it. Yeah, definitely. So I've got 
ADHD and also dyslexia and dyspraxia. So learning difficulties and or, or neuro differences, I should say, and supplementation is something that I'm personally very interested in. One of the reasons why I was so interested in getting involved with you guys. So there is great data um, from a really brilliant scientist to show that children who have learning differences and difficulties, particularly children who are in special needs schools, for example, benefit massively from EPA and DHA supplementation in terms of behaviour, mental performance, their ability to match their peers in tests and exams and things like that. And just even things like behaviour in the classroom, so ability for teachers to be able to teach, uh, is massively improved with omega-3 supplementation in children who have ADHD. Same with B vitamins, there's some good data of that as well, but the omegas seem to be the most important thing for these children. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I don't know many toddlers who eat plenty of oily fish unless they've really been um, encouraged to do so by their parents, and that can be a battle. So it's not surprising that we have lots of children whose mental performance is struggling and is not as good as it could be, and that, you know, perhaps omega-3 is, is part of the answer to that, which I think is magic and amazing uh, and could be transformative for so many people. It's a very common thing as well, isn't it? Like people have their stories about growing up and being given omega-3 supplements by your parents. It's always kind of, well... I say always, but certainly from my generation anyway, like being a thing. We were force fed more cod liver oil. And so I think we understood that perhaps fish was important and fish oil was important, but it's really been in the last, I can remember it all coming through. So it must've been after I'd graduated, but you know, in the last kind of 15 years, perhaps that um, we've really understood that it needs to be fish body oil, not cod liver oil as it was previously. So the fish body mm. oil, which is what contains the EPA and DHA, that's the thing that we need to be focusing on. So super crucial for those that have watched Seaspiracy being turned off fish or anyone that identifies obviously as a vegetarian, plant-based or, or vegan. It sounds to me like, you know, supplementation one way or another is a must-have. Yeah, I'm completely convinced that algae oil supplementation, if you are on a plant-based diet, is essential for long-term um mental health for physical health and everything else and, and that we will see a generation of people suffering because they've been sold the story that ALA is enough and again it's controversial I'm not everyone's in agreement with that as a scientist and as a researcher and someone who spent a lot of time looking at this stuff I am convinced that that's what we need. Awesome thank you Sophie before you go what are your top three takeaways for anyone the the top three takeaways for omega-3s? So if you eat fish, make sure you're having two portions of oily fish a week and mix it up in terms of recipes and things like that. Use different types of fish. Um, so you're not just relying on salmon, which can then contain some environmental pollutants and things like that. Also, if you are continuing to eat fish, please do look for sustainable sources of fish because we all want to think about the environment. It's very important. If you are on a plant-based diet, then please do supplement with algae oil. And also definitely worth making sure that you get enough ALA in your diet as well. So from things like nuts and seeds and that sort of thing. And number three, think about the quality of the supplement you're taking and make sure it's from a reliable company and someone that you believe has done their research and finding the right source for you as an individual. The dose is important. You don't want to overdose. You want to get the right amount because there are consequences to taking too much of these kinds of things. And ultimately, with any kind of nutrition, balance is, is absolutely key. So these essential fatty acids are absolutely essential. We need to make sure that they come from either supplement form or from the diet. But too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing. And we need to think about the balance of our overall uh, fat ratios in our diets too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sophie. Been a pleasure once again. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. 
Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week.